All your favorite CBC podcasts are now available on YouTube. The best in award-winning true crime investigations, hilarious comedies, vibrant pop culture conversations, and even more audio series are all available on CBC Podcast's YouTube channel. You'll also find exclusive video first episodes, YouTube shorts, and behind-the-scenes content from our hosts and producers that you can't find anywhere else. So if YouTube is your go-to source for podcasts, just search CBC Podcasts and hit subscribe, and you'll never miss the latest update. This is a CBC Podcast. What was your idea for Donovan to say something? Oy vey. Oy vey. Oy vey. Yeah, that's good. Uh, Should Cream say something? They appear to be unhappy. (laughs) (laughs) What you're hearing right now is a group of actors sitting around a table. They're in the middle of reading through the script that Maddie, Mark, and I have worked on over the course of this series. The pilot of our sci-fi epic, Progeny. I got nothing but cheesy lines in my head at the moment. Um, Take it easy, losers. <laughs> <laughs> the excitement in the air is palpable, especially from the writer's side of the table. See, we three writers have done a lot to make this table read sound the best it possibly can. We called in every favor we could muster from some of our most talented actor friends to help breathe life into this script. And we got some pretty impressive names, too, like our buddy Rain Wilson. Or Carly Pope of Suits fame. Alessandro Giuliani from Battlestar Galactica. Ashley Ball from My Little Pony. And narrating the whole thing is Mark Mir, Commander Shepard from the Mass Effect video game franchise. Aside from fantastic voice talent, we've beefed up the read with sound effects and music to bring it all together. It's a 55-minute ride with intrigue, romance, betrayal, and explosions. Yeah, yeah, we know there's no sound in space, but explosions are fun. Before we start, a few things. First, if you're new here and you're wondering how we came up with the story you're about to listen to, you should head back to episode one. It'll be fun, I promise, and make a lot more sense. Second thing is, keep in mind that this was written as a TV series, not an audio drama. So there may be parts where you're hearing a lot of stage directions or the pacing is a little off. Third thing is, we stuck to our mandate. This is a serious sci-fi script. There isn't any of our normal jackassery or riffing in this episode. It gets pretty epic at times. So please save your hot takes and cool, disaffected comedy cynicism for the next episode. And I promise you, you will have your chance for all of that. And speaking of the next episode, for those of you who don't want to listen to the full hour-long pilot, there's an episode in your feed right now where Maddie, Mark, and I walk you through what we thought about how our pilot turned out. Okay, and with that... It is my extreme pleasure to introduce to you Progeny, Episode 1. Hold on to your spacesuits. This is going to get spacey. Exterior, a deep black void. We are suspended in complete darkness without any point of reference. Only a distant hum can be heard. How much do we owe to our ancestors? A flash of light explodes in the distance and settles into a singular pinpoint. Then another. With each passing second, more stars fill the void. And now, we are drifting through deep space. Our ancestors gave us everything we've ever touched, loved, breathed, and built. We pan to the right, revealing an immense spaceship. A cylindrical hub comprised of smaller capsules lined up like a train, all slowly spinning behind a copper shield dome. Like a giant umbrella, sailing canopy first. We zoom in on the strange spacecraft. Interior, 
Progeny, a small and dark room. From the destruction of a flawed and terrible planet, they cast off in hopes of a new life, a new world. We find ourselves in a dimly lit, cramped room filled wall to wall with dusty, powered down communication equipment. They gave us everything we could possibly need to survive a journey that would cost generations countless. A man and woman, completely nude, kiss passionately in the darkness. Can't we turn her off? (laughs) I wish. I don't know how any of this old shit functions. They begin to dress. She dons the crisp, flowing garments of a high-ranking official. His are more practical than dirty. Mother's morning address is designed to soothe us. Shh. Oh, no one can hear us. We're too far into the restricted zone. He looks around the room. What is this place? Communications hub to coordinate the landing phase when we reach orbit. Will it still work? Well, I'll be finding out soon. I've been tasked to get all this up and running. Eric attempts to kiss her. She gently pushes him away. We have to go. I can't be seen showing up late for morning attestation. Of course. You are ascending. You must epitomize all that is righteous and good. How long do I wait? You don't. You go first. I'll give you 30 of 7 to get back, then I'll leave. (sighs) Is this a face worth being put under for? And for how long? Six months? Maybe. Definitely three. Four? (sighs) Hurry. Get out of here. (sighs) He straightens his uniform and steps back. Next year in Proxima. He stands. Staring at her expectantly. Proxima, next year. He smiles and turns to the door, listens for a moment, then opens it slightly and slides out. Washington rests against a console and stares at the crackling old speaker, the source of Lee's voice. Today, there are 131 of us aboard, but in another very real way, there are billions of us. All of our ancestors are here with us. On our journey through the cosmos, this is progeny. Our lifeboat, our world, our everything. We pull back out to see the ship shooting through the cosmos. Title card, Progeny. Interior, progeny, bunk room, day. The bunk room is long and packed tightly with rows and rows of beds that are set at an extreme angle, but not quite horizontal. They contain many different people, all different ages and genders, sleeping soundly. Some bodies begin to stir. Our world, our everything. We hear the tail end of the speech finish, and then the speakers click off, and grim fluorescent lights fade up quickly. With the lights now on, we see a portrait of a bald woman with bright orange eyes adorning a wall. Dozens of people on the bunks begin to sit up and greet the day, with the exception of one. Kirby, 44, wiry, with wild hair, dead asleep, clutching something metallic in her hand. Girk, an official-looking progenian enforcer, stands near the door and yells, Morning attestations in 13! Up! A line is quickly formed to exit the room. As each person does, they place their forehead on the lips of the woman in the portrait, then bow and exit. Noticing Kirby still asleep, Girk storms over to her bunk and kicks it. Who's that? Shocked awake, Kirby sits up abruptly and slams her head into the bunk above her. In a quick moment of realization, she shoves the metallic object underneath her pillow. Morning attestations in 12, Kirby. 
Don't make me drag you there again. He picks her up and unceremoniously dumps her on the floor. Kirby rubs her head. We cut to interior, progeny, palace of facets. A large, ornate room with hundreds of portraits on the wall, similar to the one we saw in the bunk room. 130 people kneel and speak in unison, eyes closed. We find Kirby in a corner. Nobody sits near her. She is barely speaking the words, eyes half open, mumbling, phoning it in. She tinkers with the small metal object in her hand, occasionally looking up to see if anyone is watching. In the center of the room is a small group of five people wearing long flowing robes. We recognize Washington, 31, kind eyes and a regal face. For one brief second, she catches Kirby's eyes, who promptly looks to the floor. Interior, progeny hallway. People file out of the Palace of Facets, heading in different directions through cramped hallways. We see Washington being greeted by many people, touching her hands and congratulating her. A young girl runs up to Kirby and walks beside her. Is it finished? Shh, you'll get us in trouble. Sorry, Kirby. Follow me, but don't look at me. Act as you would. The young girl nods and does as she's told, barely able to suppress a smile. Kirby turns out of the crowded hallway into a nook containing a few consoles and monitors, with the little girl hot on her heels. After checking that the coast is clear, she takes out the small metallic object and presents it to the girl. Try it out. Elated, the girl takes the object. It's a crude, DIY, yet accurate replica of their spaceship. The girl squeezes a small trigger at its base, making it spin. It's perfect. It's progeny. Kirby points to a section near the front of the model. We are right here. Wave hello. What's it made out of? Garbage. Junk. Refuse. Nothing, really. Now, if you get caught with it, you'll get in trouble if you don't tell them who gave it to you. Don't hesitate. You tell them it was me. Understand? The girl smiles, conceals the toy, and runs off. An adult comes to collect the girl and glares suspiciously at Kirby, who watches them go. Kirby turns to leave and bumps into Dermot, 30, weaselly eyes and crooked teeth. You're late. Interior, progeny, bean processing room. Kirby sits in front of a long conveyor belt that is slowly circulating hundreds of vines covered in small gray beans. In a robotic motion she has repeated many times before, she takes each vine and runs it through her gloved hands, shucking the beans and throwing the excess onto another conveyor belt behind her. She notices that along the side of the conveyor belt, a tiny piece of metal has splintered and is lifting up. She wrenches it up gently, twisting one end to the conveyor belt itself and one around a vine. The beans begin to fall away from the stem without the use of her hand. Uh-huh. She begins to gather more random supplies. A chair, two Allen keys, a strand of her own frizzy hair. Her invention slowly takes shape and the beans are shucked automatically onto the conveyor belt. However, the device isn't perfect, and some beans are ending up on the ground. What do you think you're doing, Kirby? Kirby jumps, bumping her invention to the ground. Dermot, standing behind Kirby, takes out a tiny pad of paper and a stick of graphite and writes something down. Screwing around on the job, using unsanctioned supplies, massive and casual waste of foodstuffs. This isn't a waste. Look, it works. Almost. It's a question of efficiency. It's obviously in a crude stage of development, but with actual fabrication, 
This is what Lee always tells us to strive for. Quiet! He looks around the room furtively. Do not mention her name in an argument. You will invite trouble for both of us. He suddenly walks to a small portrait of the same bald woman with orange eyes we have seen before. He says something quietly under his breath, then touches his forehead to the portrait's lips. Kirby rolls her eyes quickly. You strip the vines. You put the protein on the forward belt. It's not complicated. I didn't say it was complicated. I said there was a way to do it better. Oh, they warned me about this when they kicked you out of the water treatment. I wasn't kicked out. I was reassigned. Oh, oh, and how many times in your life have you been reassigned? Plenty. Yeah, plenty. Mm-hmm. You're lucky I'm keeping these citations in my purse for the time being and not filing them with the Council of Work. Dermot, did you ever stop to think that there are jobs and tasks we can free ourselves of? If you spent more time doing your job, instead of thinking of the ways to avoid it, you'd get twice as much done. Hard work betrays no one. You'd do well to remember that. He kicks her little invention. Now clean this up. And when you're done with that, you can take the cart and retrieve more vines from the Aggies. After afternoon exertion, of course. Montage. People exercising in various parts of the ship. We see a group of engineers lined up, bending down and touching each other's toes in the engine room. Kitchen workers stretching their arms high above their heads. Aggies doing high knees in the agricultural section. Everyone, ship-wide, is doing the same calisthenics, led by Lee's voice coming through the PA system. Remember, motion is lotion. Keep the movements fluid. Interior, Progeny, Washington's office. Later, Washington is alone, flipping through an aged, laminated computer manual. She treats it like a sacred text. And down again? Having been distracted, she eyes the speaker with disdain. And hold. She goes back to the text. Now, 40 jumps to end the session. One, two, three, four, five. As Lee counts, Washington closes the book and places it back in a protective case. Space wants to destroy us. It wants us dead. We shouldn't exist. We shouldn't have survived. But we conspire with our bodies to fight. We must be strong when we step foot on Proxima. We must not atrophy. Our ancestors have decreed it. It is my sacred duty to take care of you, all of you, my children. Next year in Proxima. Proxima next year. Washington notices something through a plexiglass window. Interior, Progeny Hallway. We see Washington try to exit a door. It jams as it slides open, and Washington has to force it with her shoulder. Kirby, wheeling the large, empty cart, walks by with her head down. Finished exertion early? Kirby turns, afraid. No? With enough time to heave that cart up from processing? Two floors, three sections? I may have skipped the jumps. (laughs) Please don't report me. Relax. I skip it too on days where I may overexert. Some rules are redundant. Yes, What were you doing during morning attestations today? Nothing. You were fiddling with something. No. Or, I don't remember. I know I shouldn't break the attestations. That's not why I ask. I I was curious. I'm sorry for delaying you. Please continue with your task. Kirby nods and begins to wheel her cart down the hallway. 
Washington turns to go back inside, but the door jams again, and she smacks it in frustration. It just needs to be repositioned. What? The door. There are three tracks in one groove. Over time, the door will drift, get crossed up, fall out of line. Kirby opens a small pocket in her uniform and takes out what looks like a pair of chopsticks. It happens often I start carrying these around with me. Made out of a spent vine. She places a stick on either side of the top part of the door, where it retracts into the wall. There's so many sleepy doors on Progeny. Sorry, that's what I call them, sleepy doors, because it's like they've fallen asleep and you just need to wake them up. <laughs> Kirby puts two hands on the door and braces herself. She turns back to Washington. Watch out, please. Washington moves out of the door's path. Kirby breathes in deeply, then slams her shoulder into the door like a linebacker. <clears throat> With a pleasing pop sound, the door sticks back into the center of the groove and begins to slide easy and smooth. Kirby takes out the sticks and pockets them. There you go. I may have a new assignment for you, Kirby. Push your cart for today, but I'll find you tomorrow. Kirby smiles, half confused, and begins to schlep her cart down the hallway. Oh, and Kirby, be on your best behavior from here on out. It will help me. Interior, med lab. The med lab is a large room by progeny standards, and though everything is in its place, the amount of medical machinery and supplies piled inside it give it a disordered, cluttered feel. In the middle of the chaos, we see Dr. Eric, 30, oddly handsome with dark eyes and a prominent nose, sitting at a small desk. Hewson, 26, a small horny guy with a cocky demeanor, pokes his head into the room. As he does, we see Kirby wheeling her large cart in the hallway outside. Hey, Eric. Got an urgent alert I needed to come in. He holds up his personal communicator, which flashes red. I'm feeling tip-top, so probably it's just a glitch, so if you could just sign off, then I'll get out of your hair. Eric looks up from the monitor. No, not a mistake. Have a seat. The stool he sits on is attached to an articulating mechanical arm mounted firmly to the ground. With a small kick, he glides over to Hewson. Eric releases a latch on the wall, allowing a thin cot to drop out like an old ironing board. What, are you serious? Hewson walks in and reluctantly sits down. Eric pulls out a small device and presses it to Hewson's chest. Yes. It's kind of a waste of time, don't you think? Not my place to say, or yours either. All right. Uh, any strange taste or blurred vision? Nope. Hmm. Your logs have been flagged for irregular activity. Increased average heart rate. Your sleep is yeah, half of what it should be. Oh, come on. What are we doing here? I pulled an extra shift to prep for the ceremony. Work oversight should have allotted an extra nine hours. Yeah, I've accounted for that. It still doesn't add up. Okay. Here's the truth of it. I've been pulling a bit of under-the-table overtime. Okay. It's just a couple of small jobs for a friend. Can you bury it? <laughs> oh, that looks like a hell of a lot more than a couple of small jobs. Standard procedures to Mr. Pinto, get you off the floor. You can't. No, they'll put you to sleep for 168 hours minimum. Minimum. And say goodbye to running a printer. Eric pauses for a moment. He grabs a small vial and pushes himself back. And I can log that you've had trouble sleeping. Should keep your file from getting flagged again, but you're on your own if you get audited. I'll also note that I prescribed a sedative, so be sure to take these. Thank you. Don't thank me. This isn't charity. This is a trade. Oh, for fuck's sake. All right. What do you need made? Eric glides his chair to a locked position and stands up. He takes off his glasses to reveal wild eyes. Can those printers of yours replicate organic materials? Interior. Progeny. Agricultural Annex. Later. A room with rows and rows of vines with gray beans, contained in hydroponic racks. 
Ten Aggies spray the vines and monitor their health, wearing baggy brown coveralls. Kirby enters. A couple of Aggies look up to her and indicate a rack of vines. Kirby picks up a long tool with a hook at the end and begins to cut the vines and put them on her cart. One of the Aggies whispers to another and points to Kirby. They both laugh. Kirby is unfazed. She's used to it. Interior. Progeny hallway. Night. Crew members move through various cramped hallways, their eyes and bodies tired from a full day's work. Kirby pushes her cart, now full of vines, cutting through the crowd. Lee's voice can be heard broadcasting over a ship-wide PA system. As we slip into the dim light, I want to remind you all of what has been promised to you. As we hear Lee recite a series of promises, all the progenians mumble along, as if repeating something they've heard and said a thousand times. A plot of land with healthy soil to dig and till. Fresh water in lakes and rivers to drink from and swim within. Unscrubbed, unfiltered, and untouched oxygen with no limits on consumption. A place, a home, a planet. As Lee and the progenians finish speaking, the lights in the hallways dim. Many progenians retreat to their bunks. A few emerge and start to walk the hallways to their various night shifts. Interior, Progeny, Lee's Station, Later. A small room which can only be described as an organized mess. It is one part laboratory, one part archives, and one part bedroom. Lee, 56, a short and slight woman who is fully bald with bright orange eyes, sits at a workstation. She is holding a thin microphone. I will deliver these things to you as is promised, for I am your mother. And you are my children. Rest your heads. And praise to Progeny, our protector, our lifeboat. She releases the microphone and presses a series of buttons, turning the PA system off. She slowly turns to two people who have been watching her with great reverence. Bo, 23, with striking red hair and a slender build, standing near the back of the room. A frail-looking middle-aged man named Pug, 53, thinning short hair, sporting a thin mustache. Now then, my son, what is so important it cannot wait the night? The unsanctioned couple. I was right to have them followed. They were observed, and the evidence is clear. We have them dead to rights. Unsanctioned coupling! Please, father, this must be handled delicately. You soft child. Sleep them both. A full year each. Their diversions from work threaten the safety of every single one of us as well as the integrity of the breeding program. Lower your voices, both of you. What would someone think if they heard the shrill tones echoing down the hall? You sound like a couple of dock jockeys squabbling over a shiny bit of metal. I can't afford a public scandal with the lighting two days away. I agree, Mother. <sighs> Sniveling. This unsure cowardice is next in line for the seat. But I must send a firm message. Doing nothing saps our power. Doing too much shows our hand. We will be fair. Threaten both of them with sleep until you get a full confession, and then sleep only one of them. Assign a loyal lower to keep a close eye on the other one, and to report back on any unauthorized behavior. I don't care how insignificant. She taps her desk and stands abruptly. Who do I approach first? Whoever you think is more likely to turn on the other. 
just do so immediately and greet them with compassion. In the end, this hurts me more than anyone else. She exits. Pug calls after her. Your will shall be done! She cannot hear you. Lee hears everything on progeny, and the sooner you understand that, the better you underdeveloped feeble waste of resources. Do not talk to me that way. He puts his hands on Pug, who deflects them quickly and slams Bo up against a wall. Oh no, you're all worked up. Try to contain yourself, little boy. You don't wear passion well. Pull a confession from the man, and then sleep the woman. But first, wipe the tears from your eyes. He looks out of a thick and scratched plexiglass porthole. We are alone in the universe. We must be strong. Remember that. Without looking back, he exits. The door closes, and Bo is alone. He collects himself quietly in the dark. Exterior. Progeny. Space. The large ship spins slowly across a blanket of stars. One particularly bright star in the distance begins to move in a zigzag pattern and aligns itself behind Progeny. Interior. Large room filled with bunks. The next day. We hear the tail end of Lee's morning message played through the PA system throughout the entire ship. Grim fluorescent lights fade up quickly. Progenians begin to wake up. Kirby is already up, waiting by the door. We are in the ornate room full of portraits again. 130 people on their knees, reciting a strange prayer in unison with their eyes closed. Washington is in the middle again, wearing robes. She spots Kirby, who has her eyes closed tighter than anyone around her, reciting the parable with zeal. Interior. Progeny hallway. Continuous. Progenians move about quickly going to their various jobs. Kirby spots the young girl she gave the toy to, who pats her pocket and gives Kirby a wink. Kirby walks by without reacting. The girl looks disappointed. Kirby, unable to completely contain herself, turns and gives the girl a clandestine wink before walking off. Interior. Progeny. Bean processing room. Kirby sits at her post, checking beans like an automaton. Dermot walks in. What's going on? What do you mean? You're early. By two and three-fifths, yes. What happened? I don't understand. You've been here for 16 cycles, and you've never once been early. Something has happened. Uh, are you being reassigned? With that, the door slides open, and Washington strides into the room. Ah, I knew it! Yes! Am I to be rid of her? Is she being put under? Shall I help you escort her to Eric? Please! That's enough, Dermot. Thank you. Come with me, Kirby. I have something to show you. Interior. Progeny. Comms. We are back in the dark and dusty, cramped room where we found ourselves before. Kirby steps in and looks at the equipment in awe. Welcome to your new home. What is this? This is comms, and it's been dormant for a few hundred years. But now, with Proxima on the horizon, we need it up and running. Kirby's eyes widen, and her mouth drops again at the mention of comms. Comms? Who are we communicating with? Ourselves, when we make landing. Our ancestors left instructions, of course. And I think you know your way around their technology. Because you saw me fix the door? I know who you are, Kirby. You've been reassigned so many times, people forget you trained in engineering. Graded higher than most. If you hadn't been misjudged your whole life, maybe you would have ascended by now. Now, open everything up and tell me how it works. I want to give Lee a positive update before the lighting. 
Kirby beams as it all starts to sink in. Stick with me, and you'll never process another bean for the rest of your life. Interior. Progeny. Med lab. Day. The lights are low, and Eric is in full operating garb. He is working on something delicate, contained within a terrarium. He smiles, and then speaks to an empty room. Record. Phospholipid levels are improving. The nanogel Houston provided has shored up their fatty acids. We'll leave the specimen in refrigeration another week, maybe two. Stop record. Eric closes the box and removes his gloves and mask. He is momentarily giddy, <laughs> then catches himself. Then... <sighs> Play file 13, personal. I wish I could be there with you. It's funny. You spend your whole life saying next year in Proxima. And then to be so close and not get there, it's funny. Eric closes his eyes and sinks into his gliding chair, lost in a memory. The silence is broken by a knock on his door. Stop playback. Come. The door opens and some light breaks into the darkness. Bo enters. Yes? A quick word. Interior. Progeny Nursery. Seven babies lay in utilitarian cribs separated by plexiglass. Lee picks one up and sits in a chair. She begins to breastfeed. We will need a full complement in here to mind the little ones. There were no babies aboard Progeny the last time the candles were lit. Were there? No. There is nothing in the texts to tell us how to protect them. Yes, Lee. Where's Bo? I sent him to deal with the unsanctioned couple. He should have been done by now. Why is your face so sour? More so than usual, anyways. I am full of worry and dread. And why is that? Our son. He's a weakling. Can he be trusted to fulfill the promises of Proxima? Does your jealousy know no bounds? Your own son. I am not jealous. Would you get to the point if you have one? When it comes time to name your successor... Enough. I've heard this before. I have too much on my mind. What we do tomorrow, when we light the candle, this is what our ancestors lived and died for. We will see Proxima with our own eyes. And I must focus on my children and their safety. All of my children. Puck bows his head. Yes, Mother. And stop obsessing over Bo. It's embarrassing. Yes, Mother. You're embarrassing. Yes, Mother. Now, go and find him. You distract me from my duties. Interior. Progeny. Comms. Later. Kirby has removed a few panels and is delicately searching inside of a console with a small light and some tweezers. She flips through the same laminated book Washington had earlier. Frustrated with it, she tosses it to the floor. Okay, Curb, this isn't a big deal. You're just doing something no one alive has ever done before. Kirby steps toward a console, forging a path through a maze of electronics and tools on the floor. She takes a tool from a pocket and begins to expertly remove screws to reveal a mess of wires under the console. She takes out a small mag light and inspects closer. She pulls out a chunk of melted plastic, an old circuit board. Hmm. No wonder this thing isn't working. 
She opens her secret pocket and puts the mag light in her mouth. She removes the chunk of fried melted wire. She pushes a few buttons on the keyboard, and the array snaps to life like a slot machine. It begins to play a message on repeat. Progeny, progeny, progeny. This is Cruiser 7, WDA Go 48, on channel 16. Please respond. Over. That's, that's a lot. That's a lot to take in. I, uh, a lot to take in for me. It must be too much for you. It's a little different than what we normally do here. Not a lot of breaks, you know, so we thought we'd take an intermission so we could all collect ourselves and just be ready for the second half. So I thought we'd maybe go through a guided space meditation so you can get up and, you know, stretch your legs and be ready to come back for more progeny. So imagine yourself in the Milky Way galaxy, floating like a gentle little comet. Your tail, your tail is uh, tailing around and you see a planet. What do you see? Oh, it's, it's the planet. It's, it's a, it's a dwarf planet. That means that it's big or something. I think in space, dwarf is big. Oh, here comes a satellite. Hi, I'm Jesse Cruikshank. Jesse Cruikshank. I host the number one comedy podcast called Phone a Friend. Girl, let's phone a friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl. Yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough. Maybe another constellation, but you can't tell what it is. Oh, and there's some cosmic dust. Get that out of there. You might sneeze. Achoo. Bless you. Okay, you know what? I think that's enough intermission, and space is scary when you're floating around in it. So let's get back into a story and bring this progeny ship home. Exterior, Cruiser 7, a few moments earlier. We zoom in on the zigzagging star, revealing it to be a small spaceship that is darting through the cosmos. We pan around the sleek 22nd century spacecraft. It's an elegantly designed machine with no visible seams in its shiny smooth hull. Interior, Cruiser 7, we are in a different world now, in a ship powered by a technology beyond our modern understanding. The soft glow of blue and green lights emanating from sleek control panels bathe the crew of Cruiser 7. In the front-facing windows, we see a tic-tac-sized progeny floating in the blackness of space. On a screen below, we see a close-up of progeny, its axis spinning in real time. The crew, Donovan, Triang, Reitman, sit in various stations around the small bridge. An almost goat-shaped four-armed robot, Cream, periodically makes adjustments on controls and scuttles around. Still nothing. Cream, how long since our last message was sent? A cylindrical head swivels on Cream's body and responds in a soothing and perfectly human-sounding voice. Zero days, 14 hours, 12 minutes, 7 seconds. You can round it, Cream. I don't need to know zero days. Noted. About 15 hours. Reitman looks up from a monitor and addresses the captain, Donovan. 
Their communication systems must be down. Honestly, I can't believe anything still works on that thing. Triang pipes up, almost too enthusiastically. Remember, there could be a number of reasons they haven't responded. A civilization as far removed as theirs may have customs we can only dream of. Maybe they're dead. Donovan takes a close look at the monitor. No, they're alive in there. It is quite possible that they don't understand the message. Imagine stepping into a brothel 600 years ago in the 17th century and trying to communicate. Why a brothel? Sure, the language would be the same, but slang and pronunciation and accents would be so different. It would be incredibly hard to communicate, at least at first. That's what could be happening here. We just don't know. We sure pay you a hell of a lot to just not know. All of our research suggests they will speak a very similar dialect to ours. I'm only reminding you that we can't possibly know for sure anything about progeny until we establish contact with them. If we establish contact, suppose they fire off one of their nukes before that happens. Nukes? They detonate nuclear war has to decelerate. It's called nuclear pulse propulsion. The shield absorbs the energy from the blast, either speeding it up or slowing the ship down. Problem is, anything in the blast radius that's not behind that big shield will get obliterated. That's us, isn't it? Don't worry. We'll have lots of warning. They'll have to flip the entire ship around first. And all the projections indicate they're years away from that. Nukes is fuel. The era of Earth they departed from was not known for forward thinking. Excuse me. Connection with progeny achieved. A line has been open. Playing transmission now. All eyes turn to the robot. A fuzzy transmission comes through, and we recognize the voice as Kirby's. Hello? Hello? Who is this? Well, that answers that question. I certainly understand her. I I think she's wondering if this is a joke. Answer her! Triang makes a beeline for the communicator. She pushes a button and speaks into a small microphone. Hello? We are the crew of Cruiser 7, a mission from Earth to make contact with Progeny. What is your name? Hello, this is Kirby. Is this the bridge? Triang looks up at the crew. She's having trouble understanding me. With a frantic motion, Donovan shoes Triang back to the microphone. She presses the comm button again. Hello, we are the crew of Cruiser 7, a mission from Earth to make contact with Progeny. Do you understand this? I'm sorry, I, I don't. I'm on a special job to get comms up and running. You need to identify yourself, please, so I can continue my work. My name is J.C. Triang. I am a senior major and anthropological science officer. We are contacting you from off-ship. We are not on progeny. Repeat, we are not on progeny. We are aboard Cruiser 7, from Earth on a mission to make contact with you. Hello? Triang looks up at the crew. She shrugs. Find out who she is, what her rank or position is. Anything. Right. Are are you saying you're from... Are you you saying you're from Earth? How are you... Yes, that's what I'm saying. Please, tell me your name. Pump her for some information. How many people are alive in there? Triang takes her finger off the button. We have to be careful. These people believe they are the only humans left in the universe. Well, you really let that cat out of the bag. Give her some time to process. This is an incredibly delicate situation. Keep her on the line. Who is she? Triang nods and swallows and presses the comm button. Interior. Progeny. Comms. Kirby is frozen in shock. What is your name? Kirby. Hello, Kirby. This might be difficult to take in, but I need you to focus. 
What you know of your history is not entirely correct. The asteroid that your people were escaping, we managed to destroy it before it hit Earth. While progeny has been in transit to Proxima, humanity has thrived, advancing technology further than what you know on progeny. We are on board a ship sent to find you, to save you, to take you back to Earth. Kirby remains motionless, gripping the console. Hello? Hello? Are you still there? Yes. We are glad we made contact. Is there a captain? Someone in charge? Lee. Lee? Lee leads the council. She is our mother. Can we speak with Lee? I should tell Washington first. Washington. Kirby starts to slowly shake her head. Everything she ever knew is wrong. Montage of Kirby's thoughts. We see Kirby as a child, sitting in a classroom, staring at a video of an asteroid smashing into Earth, destroying it. Kirby is a teenager, examining an ancient book full of pictures of forests full of plants and animals. Kirby is an adult, alone in a dimly lit hallway, staring out of a large window at the darkness of deep space. Out of montage. Kirby, please stay with me. Start from the beginning. Tell me everything of your people. We want to know everything that you know. Kirby is at a loss at where to even begin. She inhales deeply and tries to speak, but nothing comes out, and she passes out on the floor. Kirby? Kirby! Kirby, can you still hear me? Interior. Progeny. A hallway. Washington helps an elder progenian down the hallway. Suddenly, she is stopped dead in her tracks by Bo. Washington, may I speak with you in private? Washington is caught off guard briefly, but recovers. Can it wait, Bo? No. You understand, of course. Of course. Interior. Washington's office. The door opens and Bo stands in its frame. Washington walks to a chair behind a small desk and sits. Bo stares at her and smiles a toothy grin, reminiscent of Lee. So, what's the problem, Bo? Bo looks around the room. This used to be an intermediate schoolroom, before they refitted it into your office. Remember? I'm trying to decide if I have time for this. Maybe you can help me by getting to the point. I'll try. I spent a lot of time here in my youth. I once got into a fight with two older boys. Right here. Two on one. I remember. They accused me of stealing their rations. Bo. You may remember the story, but I don't think you know this part. See, I wasn't stealing their rations. I was taking them. They were mine to take. And if they wanted them back, they could take them back. Which they tried to do. Why did you want to speak to me? Oh, right. You're not ascending. What? Your ascension. Something's come up. A small matter of your unauthorized sexual coupling. What are you talking about? Shall I repeat myself? All of it? Washington stands, angry. She approaches Bo. Show me proof. See, that's the thing about me. I don't need proof. The good thing is... I do have it. He takes a tablet out of his tunic and shows Kirby's locations over the previous 24 hours. Where did you get that? Dr. Eyre cloned it to me. Don't worry, he didn't give you up right away. It took some cajoling. (gasps) It's adorable when you're surprised, Washington. You'll be slept this afternoon, and when you wake up in a long, long time, we'll talk about every sordid detail. Interior. Progeny. Med Lab. 
Later, Washington lies on a table being prepped for an operation. She has restraints in her arms. Dr. Eric is busy in the background. Lee enters. She nods to the doctor and walks over to Washington. What a disappointing set of circumstances we find ourselves in. Lee. Lee holds up her hand. Washington stops herself. I've just sealed the termination order for your ascension. It's being delivered down to the archives as we speak, where it will be copied and then sent back up to the Council of Positions and Records. I didn't... I didn't do anything to hurt Progeny. I never would. Stop it! Don't do that, you stupid little fool. Don't you see how much this hurts me? pains me to punish any of my children. You force me into it with your wicked behavior. Doctor, would you please turn on the recorder? One moment. With the click of another button, a soft hiss of sound recording is heard. He nods at Lee. By order of the Council of the Upper Decks, Washington, daughter of Ventra, shall be put under for a period of no more than three months, hereby prescribed Pento in the amount of... 125 milligrams. 125 milligrams. For the good of progeny, her actions will be muted and her energies repurposed. So say I, Lee, daughter of Silken, this day of mission, 255,543. Lee nods to Eric, who pushes another button, ending the recording. Eric, please. Lee stares down at her, as if she was a wounded animal. Which arm do you prefer for the injection? Interior. Cruiser 7. The crew is gathered around Triang as she desperately tries to regain contact with Kirby. Kirby, please. Are we still connected? Donovan walks away in frustration. Kirby! This is Cruiser 7. Do you read? I'm here. Thank you, Kirby. I know this can't be easy to accept. Donovan strides over. Enough of this horseshit! Ask her about the course corrections. Triang nods. Our navigator has clocked that Progeny has altered its course slightly in the last few hours. Do you have knowledge of that? Our course might be altered due to the candle ceremony tomorrow. Candle ceremony? Yes. The lighting. Why would a ceremony have anything to do with their course? The hell is she talking about? Triang puts her hand up to quiet them. Kirby, what is the candle? The candle is lit to control the speed of the ship. Our ancestors, the first Progenians, lit many candles to achieve our speed. Now, we will light many to slow down. First, Progeny will flip completely around something that has never been done in the history of the ship. Then we light the first candle. Tomorrow. Triang turns gray. She looks to Donovan with terror in her eyes. Oh, my God. We'll be fried. Triang faces Donovan. Tell her it needs to be delayed. How the hell did this happen? Kirby, you must delay the ceremony. Do you understand? You must get word to Lee to delay the ceremony, or we will perish. The candle will vaporize our ship. We'll all die, and we won't be able to help you come home. I will. I will get word to the Council of the Upper Decks. The crew sits in silence for a beat. Then... Oh, dear God. Interior. Progeny Committee of Work Office. Later... Kirby stands at a small desk in a drab and cramped space, with a portrait of Lee near the door. I demand an audience with Lee to tell her what's going on. We need to delay the candle ceremony. A woman leans back in her office chair and swivels it around a bit. This is Rain, 45, an anal-retentive bureaucrat. Kirby, Kirby, Kirby. When will it ever end with you? We are not alone! Earth survived! 
There's a ship coming to take us back. It's, it's out there right now. Lee needs to know. Kirby, listen to yourself. Raving on and on. You need to give this up. Give what up? This. What you're doing. Everything you've ever done. You. What am I doing? Your eccentric behavior. It's annoying after all these years. I'm telling the truth. I spoke to them. Kirby, you're going to get put under for agitation, just like Washington. What are you talking about? Oh, you haven't heard? The order just came back from the archives. Three months, I heard. They don't just hand out three months. What about our ascension? Cancelled, as well as all of our ongoing projects. Rain shakes her head. Kirby looks like she's been punched. Make sure you report back to Dermont in the morning. And if you mention one word of this asinine story to anyone... I'll report you. We must not upset Mother before the lighting. Exterior. Progeny. Space. We see Progeny floating in space. In the distance, the speck that is Cruiser 7 approaches. A series of thrusters all around Progeny start to reposition themselves, achingly coming back to life after years and years without movement. When all thrusters are in position... A sequence of small but powerful explosions start to emit from the thrusters, slowly beginning a 180-degree flip. Interior, progeny, hallway. The progenians are crowded around monitors and windows, viewing the progress of the flip. It is a momentous occasion. Behind the distracted crowd, we see Kirby on the move, secretly. Interior, Cruiser 7 Bridge, space. They're flipping. They're flipping. God damn it. Where is she? For all we know, they're arming their nuke right now. Incoming transmission. Cream docks with the communications rig, then broadcasts the voice of Kirby. I have limited time. Have you delivered our message? Yes, but no. No one will believe me. What do you mean? Why does no one believe you, Kirby? A lengthy pause. She knows the answer, but doesn't say. Kirby, we need to dock. Any opening could work. I don't know. The only possibility would be the engine room where the ceremony is held. I'll have to think of something else. Until we're docked behind that shield, you have to do everything in your power to delay the detonation. The lighting of the candle. It's too much! I'm, I'm just one person. I'm sorry. Kirby opens her eyes and unplugs from the comms terminal and sneaks away. I think she's gone. Not one for goodbyes. Maybe it's cultural. She's probably never said goodbye to anyone. Our lives are in her hands. Reitman, take us towards the engine room. If we have to kick down the door, we will. Interior. Bean processing room. Oh, you're back. It has been so peaceful here since you left. And productive. Your tardiness has been noted. However, I will let it slide because of the lighting today. Start work, please. Kirby approaches the conveyor belt. She holds a long, pensive beat before shucking beans. Dermot stands and approaches two huge bins full of shucked and useless vines. I'm going to jettison. You had better be through five sections by the time I get back from the airlock. Thank you. He exits. Of course. The jettison airlock. Small but possible. She pushes a button to stop the constant flow of beans on the conveyor belt. Interior. Progeny. Engine room. Day. The entire crew of progeny are crammed in and around the engine room. Lee stands on a makeshift plinth near a wall of levers and valves in mid-speech. Bo and Pug stand near her, facing the crowd. Progeny, 
our lifeboat, our world, our everything. Today, there are 131 of us aboard, but in another very real way, there are thousands of us. Today is day minus 314, but today is also a beginning. In less than one year, we will set foot on our new world. Yes. The crowd claps, bubbling up with anticipation. Today marks the first lighting of ten. As we reduce our speed to land on our new home, make no mistake, we are not just slowing down. We are speeding swiftly towards our future. The crew cheer. An engineer gestures to a lever near Lee. She grabs it. Interior. Comms. Seconds later. Kirby bursts in. She powers up the communications console. Connecting a keyboard from another unit, she begins to type furiously. Interior. Cruiser 7. Bridge. The crew are all outfitted in bulky spacesuits. Reitman manually guides the ship closer to Progeny's hull. Incoming transmission from Progeny. Text-based. Projecting now. Cream projects a series of numbers and letters for all to see. What's it say? I don't know. 175 degrees, aft flank midsection. Those are coordinates. Cream, patch that through my nav console. Patching. Where's she sending us? Right to the middle of their hull. Do you trust her? I do. Set course. How long till impact? Five minutes. It's gotta be bumpy. Donovan turns to Triang and Cream. Hold on to something. Here's hoping we get there before they blow us up. I'm sure Kirby is doing whatever she can to delay that. I admire your faith in strangers. Triang sits down and buckles in. Crane shuts himself into his housing dock. When I pull this lever, humanity... An alarm starts to blare. It's a sound unfamiliar to most of the crew. We zero in on two engineers. That's a proximity alarm. We're too close to something. Too close to what? It must be a malfunction of some kind. The engineers scramble to various controls. Lee spots Bo looking worried. She barks at him through clenched teeth. Stand up straight. Show some backbone. He swallows and straightens. But then... Boom! <gasps> the entire ship is rocked by the impact of Cruiser 7. In the reduced gravity of the engine room, many crew members are thrown off their feet and tumble around. Screams ring out. It's a chaotic cacophony. Something hit us! Cream moves out of his housing. Stand by for airlock deployment. Airlock pressure in five, four, three, two, one. Airlock pressurized. Hatch opening. Oh shit. The crew don their helmets and Cream scuttles in before them, checking all the connection points for leaks with his limbs. You are clear to proceed. The crew step into the airlock. The hatch closes with the crew in the airlock. Air pressure begins to equalize with progeny. An engineer looks up from a monitor and calls to Lee. There's a door jammed open at the jettison bay. So? What does that mean? We should check it out. It could cause a problem. No, if we don't detonate now, we'll overshoot Proxima. Well, if the jettison bay door is open and we're losing pressure, the whole ship could go. We have to pull now. We'll overshoot by 27 years. Lee puts her face up to the engineer. It's a malfunction. An anomaly. I don't care what it is. It's nothing. Nothing will delay my sacred duty. Nearby. Kirby watches from amongst the crowd. No! Don't light the candle! Not yet! Her voice is lost in the chaos. Pressure equalized. 
It is safe to proceed. Everybody, watch each other's backs. We don't know how they'll react to us. Well, we do know that they might be uncomfortable at the sight of four strangers and a robot on their ship. Shall I stay behind? No, Cream. Stay close. With the pulling of this lever... The crowd, hearingly, quiet down to listen. You will feel something powerful. Your bodies will stretch, pulled in different directions, as we adjust to the abrupt change in speed. Embrace this feeling. It is your new home calling to you. Across the room, Kirby pushes to get to the front. No. Not yet. Too proximo! Lee pulls the lever. Exterior. Progeny. The shield. In front of the immense defensive shield, a small warhead is released from a hidden chamber near the center. It shoots out 100 meters in front of the shield. Then... A great flash as the nuke detonates into a perfect sphere of white-hot plasma in front of the shield. The shield absorbs much of the blast, glowing red-hot. We see the blast wave propagate around Progeny, shaking and jolting it. Cruiser 7 is ripped free from the airlock, sending it violently spinning into deep space. Within seconds, it is swallowed up by the blackness of the void. No! Contact with Cruiser 7 has been severed. This can't be happening. Oh, my God. Back in the engine room, the crew are all struggling to hold on as Progeny experiences major turbulence from the detonation of the nuke. It has begun. Our descent into Proxima is here! Kirby has collapsed into a pile on the ground. I failed them. Then, Donovan and Reitman appear from a small corridor entrance. They are still wearing their full spacesuits. They take in the image of dozens of people covered in white paint. A crew member spots them and points at them. Look! Kirby spins around, and relief splashes across her face when she sees the two visitors. The crowd turns, and silence falls over everybody. Reitman speaks to Donovan through their helmet comms. Let the hell out of them. Don't make any sudden moves. Donovan removes his helmet, slowly and deliberately. When he reveals his face, the crew gasps. <laughs> Triang and Cream enter behind Reitman and Donovan. We are the crew of Cruiser 7. A mission from Earth... The crowd explodes into shouts and murmurs. A mission from Earth sent to find you and bring you home. Lee stands up and silences the crowd with a hand gesture. Imposters! Secure their arms and legs. Take them to the loading bay now! Without hesitation, several crew members grab Donovan, Triang, and Reitman. Before it is seen, Cream scampers into the shadows and in a swift move crawls on the ceiling of the hallway they entered from. Cream's body flattens out along the ceiling, blending seamlessly into the piping and venting. Find an empty storage room and throw them in it. We see Kirby, dejected and frightened. Fade to black.
Progeny, Episode 1, featuring Suleika Matthew as Kirby, Barbara Pollard as Lee, Ashley Ball as Washington, Carly Pope as Triang, Richard Newman as Donovan, S.A. Otawo as Reitman, Angela Galanopoulos as Cream, Luke Rodriguez as Bo, Paul Antony as Pug, Alessandro Giuliani as Dr. Eric, Rain Wilson as Hewson, Rogi Yu as Girk, Peter Oldring as Dermot, Angela Galanopoulos again as Rain, Lily Baudouin, Chris Kelly and Max Collins as engineers, Georgia Kelly as Young Child, Mela Pietropalo as Young Voice, and Mark Mir as Narrator. Let's Make a Sci-Fi is hosted by Maddie Kelly, Mark Chavez, and Ryan Beal. The pilot is written by Maddie Kelly, Mark Chavez, and Ryan Beal. This episode is produced by Max Collins and Chris Kelly. Mixing and sound design by Max Collins and Chris Kelly. The coordinating producer is Lauren Berkovich. Jeff Turner is our senior producer. And Arif Nurani is the director of CBC Podcasts. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.